Hello and welcome to episode 99 of Inside the WDF with me, Andrew Sinclair. The WDF circuit was back up and running this weekend with four ranking events. You had the England Open and England National Singles down at Breen Sands in Somerset. And then over in Serbia, there was the Appleton Open and the Serbian Open. I'll be breaking down all of the action from the weekend, covering the most impressive performers and all the talking points. There were certainly a few from the England weekend. All of those will be on this week's show. And there are also two brilliant guests this week as well, Dave Prins and Brandon Weening. First up is the Isle of Man Open champion Dave Prins, who joined the show to discuss being a late starter in the sport, his lakeside highlights over the years, returning to TV this year at the Seniors World Championship and the WDF World Championship, and his one big goal left in the sport. I'm now delighted to be joined by the Badger, Dave Prins. Dave, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you, mate. Nice to have you on the show. It's been a, a busy year for you so far. Returned to TV twice. You've won a title in the Isle of Man as well. But we'll get into that in a little bit. I want to go back to the, the beginning for you, really. Where did you first get into darts? Uh, well, my father. My father was, was a really decent dart player in his day. And just watched him. He played against the likes of uh, Johnny Wilson and John Law himself as well. And I was I was a footballer really, but then I later developed into darts. I mean, I was I was playing fifteen when I was about fifteen year old. I started playing darts, but in like leagues and pub leagues, and but in the likes of telebys and that, it's, it's only been about what fifteen years ago. Mm. Looking back, the first sort of recorded BDO competitions you played in were about 2005, 2006. So yeah. before yeah. that, were you just sort of playing pub leagues, county, super league? Yeah, I played county a lot for Durham. And yeah, pub leagues, county, and that's it really. I mean, because I was, I was into me football and I, I stopped doing football when I was 35. And to what level were you playing football? Was that Sunday league or were you playing lower leagues on Saturday? Uh, both, really. I mean, I had trials for Legion United. Uh, I was a goalkeeper. And then, the later the years, I ended up in goal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. I mean, those... I mean, obviously, that's a, a while ago now. But, I mean, those trials f- for Leeds, what was that whole experience like? Brilliant. I mean, I was a goalkeeper then. I mean, I was uh, playing for Peely Newtown. <coughs> and... I had, it was me, and he actually, a professional footballer, he's retired now, Bob Taylor, mm-hmm. uh, from West Brom. He's a legend for West Brom now, but it was me and him who went down for Leeds, and he, he got picked. So. And uh, when you sort of finally hung up the, the football boots, was that a, a hard moment to, to say goodbye to that chapter? It was, yeah, because I thought I would never stop playing. Even, I mean... Like to play all the, all the four years and stuff, but, but I never did. And I concentrated on my darts after that. And uh, during your football career, what would you say the biggest highlight for you was? Well, we won many trophies for the old team, but uh, like the other try for Leeds was, was nice, even though I didn't get picked. <laughs> <laughs> Moving back to the darts, you started playing those BDO competitions 05, 06, and then... 2008, you won your, your first title at the Czech Open. At the time, did winning that event feel like a big moment? Yes, it was, yeah. 
I mean, I've done half a circuit. The, the first, the first year I'd done, done half a circuit, and I needed a, a couple of points. I think it was in Sweden, or no, no, it wasn't. It was Norway, and I think I got beat off John Henderson, and I, and I just missed out at the lakeside then, and I was very, very disappointed. And Alan Norris came over to me, and he just said, "Next year, and you'll do it," you know. So I've done the full circuit and I think I end up as seventh in the world my first season, my first lakeside appearance. That first lakeside appearance was 2010. You drew Martin Phillips in the first round. What was that first experience like for you of being on TV and playing on that iconic stage? Yeah, well, it was absolutely tremendous. I was very, very nervous. I was... I mean, I was very, I was a favourite to win, I mean, because I was number seven in the world, but Mark Phillips was, uh, he's iconic, you know what I mean, he's a legend, and he just absolutely, he smashed us. <laughs> <laughs> I, I vaguely, you know, remember watching that debut of yours in, in 2010, and I, I seem to think you were nicknamed the, the Badger then, where did that nickname come from? I remember listening, I think, I can't remember if it was 2011, I think maybe, I, I was listening to the commentary for your game, and I think the commentators said something along the lines of the fact that, you know, you hadn't always been able to do the full tour because you hadn't always had the, the, you know, the financial resources to be able to travel all the time. How much truth was there to that? And, you know, if you were tight, how did you decide on the places to go to? Something I want to talk about is the 2012 World Championships. You played Willy van der Veel, Dutch, Dutch player. You lost that one 3-0. And I remember after uh, that game later in the tournament, there was some accusation thrown that you know that game had been rigged or match-fixed or whatever. There was no evidence yeah. of that at the time. But I suppose as you, as the player who was on the receiving end of that, you know, people saying that you'd fixed it or whatever, how did you deal with all of that pressure and those accusations coming at you? It was very hard, uh, very, very hard. I mean, never, I'll never ever, I always wanted to win, never like that. It was just, it was a very horrible year, very horrible year. I mean, I nearly got, my wife nearly split up, and I was down, really down after that. And, but I picked myself up and started again. What would you say the key was for you to, kind of addressing the fact that you were low and, and then picking yourself and getting back to a better place? Yeah, I just thought I mean, my family, my kids, and even my wife come up and say, look, come on, 
business dude, you know, and he, he betting all this. And so I ended up doing it, and like I say, I wasn't, I didn't do many, and I qualified again for Lakeside next year. 2014, which, you know, until this year was your last appearance at Lakeside, you won your first two games. You beat Jerome Gerding from the Netherlands, then you beat Jim Williams before playing Stephen Bunting. After, you know, the, the difficulties of the previous years and 2013, you, you'd missed a number of match starts against Richie George. How <laughs> how special was it, you know, to get that first win on the Lakeside stage after everything you'd been through before then? It was very special. I mean, there's a, numerous players, very, very good players on that Lakeside has never won a game on that stage. As when I won my first game, I was just I just looked up in the sky and I thought, you know, thank you very much. I played very well that, after that, and they were saying I was one of the favourites to win it that year. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately ran into Stephen Bunting. He was almost unstoppable at that point. Uh, he, he just threw everything at us. I played well myself, but he just never gives us a chance. Now, after that tournament, you carried on playing the BDO circuit for, for a number of years. You won the Swiss Open, uh, but didn't get to Lakeside again. And then in 2018... You went over to the PDC and did Q school for the first time. Why did you decide to make the switch at that point? Well, everyone wants to have a uh, go at the PDC. Uh, I thought I was playing well at the time, and hopefully to get over and try and get a tour card. But I didn't get it, but I've done a couple of Euro tours and stuff like that, and I've played very well over there. I've some great people. And, yeah, it was... It was fun, but didn't get me card, you know, to part of the baby audience now, I think. Hmm. I was going to say, when you first went over to the, the PDC, you didn't get the card, but you played really well in the, the UK Open qualifiers, as they had them yeah. then, played in the UK Open, and you got onto some of the, the Players' Championship events as well. What was that like, yeah. walking into the hall with all the, you know, the big-name PDC players? Yeah, yeah, it was very good. But I mean, I, I knew half of them. I mean, half of them was from the old years, you know. So, like the new, like new players, girl and Price, stuff like that. Uh, Peter Wright. I mean, they came over to us and welcomed us and stuff like that. But like Gary Anderson, all that, that I've known them for years. But yeah, it was it was very very good and played some great matches as well. How did the atmosphere of the, the PDC events, which obviously are a lot quieter, are very sterile, how did that compare to what you were used to on the on the BDO circuit? Very organised, very strict, very uh, great setup. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. 2020, you, you did Q-score at the beginning of the year and then obviously the same thing happened to you as to happen to everybody else. We all got stuck in lockdown for you know the better part of 18 months. Did you, during that time, did you play a lot of the online stuff or did you take an opportunity to put the darts away and just enjoy some family time? The family time, I think I played about two or three online tournaments, but that wasn't for me. You know, it's not, it's not the same. But I, I still, I mean, I've got a dartboard in me. I made my own dartboard room, practice a bit. But in the, over the two year was locked down. It was just merely family time, you know. Last year, 2021, 
you played the British Open weekend in Bridlington and got to the semis of the British Open. What was it like after you know a few years away being back in that you know what would have been the BDO now the WDF environment with all those players? Yeah, still, still the same. All the same players and that, and the WF was doing a great job. Like I said, after that lockdown, I just looked. Uh, I went because I always, I always like the British Open softball for me. When I jumped, when I got the semi-final, uh, I got some decent points, and I just look at the table and I goes, "Well, I'm halfway to the legs side here." Like this is uh, January, so I end up going, like I say, a few more tournaments, got more points, and I actually got the legs side. <laughs> so, had you not planned to do the tour sort of properly before that British Open weekend? No, no. Hmm. Uh, I was going to do it like say like next year, mm-hmm. the year before, year after. But when I got the when I got the semi final of the British Open, I see some decent points. I, like I say, I looked at the the points table and uh, I said, right, I'll see there I'll do a few more, and then. Actually got them, and uh, you should have been playing at Lakeside in in January, but that then got moved back to April. So instead, we saw you on TV for the first time in a number of years at the World Seniors in, in February. Had you played at the Circus Tavern before? No, I haven't. No, it was a very small uh, stage. Was small crowd, just right on top of you. It was atmosphere was fantastic. And uh, your first round game, you played, you know, the legend John Lowe. Uh, you beat him fairly comfortably. But then after the game, he got the microphone on stage and said some really nice words about you and, and the way you played. Hearing what he said about you, you know, what did that mean? Very special. I grew up watching all these, like John Lowe and, you know, Johnny Wilson and all them. And when he said uh, he's the first... I'm the first left-hander ever beat him, which was uh, very nice. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's a very, he's a legend of the game, and I was very, very proud on that night. Yeah, of course, I imagine. Beat Paul Lim in the, in the round after that before losing to the eventual champion, in the, uh, Robert Thornton, in the quarterfinals. How did you reflect on the whole experience of that World Seniors Championship? seniors that's something I'm going to really concentrate next year on but Robert Robert's really he's still playing a lot of you know like me myself but I didn't play me, me a game against him didn't but always next time absolutely certainly the way you're playing at the moment in March you won the, the Isle of Man Open uh, you had a couple of close games on the, on the way to getting that title against Steve Robertson and, and Luke Littler but winning that tournament and guaranteeing your place at Lakeside next year, yeah. how much has that taken the pressure off you for the rest of this year? Yeah, pressure's right off. Uh, but I, 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 I turned around and said to my wife, look, after you said, well, you can pick and choose. I says, yeah, but I mean, I end up with about fourth or fifth in the table after that. And I've gone down to, I think it's 10th now at the minute, because I haven't done many after that. But as I said, if I keep in the top 16, I'll be sailors for next year, and then for the World Masters in end December. So in terms of travelling for the rest of this year then, I know you did Scotland and Wales, is the priority for you then to just do enough 
in a sense, to ensure that you are in that top 16? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've booked up a couple of couple of, uh, few tournaments uh, the next couple of months. Uh, I know you're not playing in the uh, England Open this weekend, though, because you're off on your holidays. Are you going anywhere nice? We're just going down to Stratford uh, for a week. Nice, nice break, just to chill out. Hmm. Very nice. Oh, at least you're not uh, uh, flying. <laughs> no, that's not bad. I don't even with you. <laughs> nice, 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 slow drive down. Uh, but uh, you obviously must like it over in the Isle of Man because you'd won that tournament yeah. before, 12 years ago. Yeah, twice now I've won it. Yeah, uh, 2010, we first won. It's a very, very hard tournament to win. It's very but. I don't know, I, I just click over there and it's it's nice to win. Lakeside came round in April. You played two games this year. You played Mark Graham and Mike Warburton. What was it like? What was the feeling like for you of, of being back in that venue? I know in one of the interviews you did after, I think the game in Mark, I think you said, you know, I never thought I'd be back here. Yeah, very, very strange. But as soon as you walk in that, when you walk back on that stage, it's uh, uh, butterflies. But after a few darts, and it was just, uh, yeah, brilliant, you know. Atmosphere was great again. And, yeah, I love it. I love it there. Uh, I actually ended up sitting with your son, Nathan, for uh, your first game against Mark Graham. And he was uh, he was very proud to see you up on that stage. Yeah, well, my both sons, my both sons, uh, my other son didn't, couldn't make it. But, yeah. Uh, they're always, when I'm aware, they're always checked, they're always on, the, it's on Dark Connect, they're always on, you know, so they're very, I think they're very proud of us. <laughs> I'm sure they are. And in terms of your performances then, you know, like as I said, you got the one win and then lost a very close one to Mike Warburton. How did you feel that you played? Yeah, I played all right, I thought, oh, I should I really, I should have won that, I should have won the game against Warby, but uh, I missed the vital doubles let them in mm. uh, but that way it goes you know just bring on the next one you know looking ahead now for, for the rest of your darting career what are the goals you've got is there one thing that you can point to and say I would love to do this the only the only thing I haven't done which I've done nearly everything in darts but the only thing I've never done is play for England I would love to have one cup for England. So does that does that mean that you'll be playing a lot of county next season no, to try and ensure? No, no that's what I'm saying. That's the only thing. Left. I mean, I don't play county no more. But, but uh, like over the years, I nearly got picked and I didn't. But that's the only downfall is uh, like an England Cup, which I've never had. <laughs> but the rest of the rest of me years coming up, I'll be. I'll be concentrating on the seniors uh, tour. Probably a few WFs, you know, I'll just pick and choose. The, the main thing is, based on, you know, the way you're playing and, and whatever, you certainly seem to be enjoying your darts, which obviously is the, the main thing. If you're a happy dart player, you're a good dart player normally. Yeah, you've got to, you've got to enjoy your darts. If you're, if you're not enjoying it, put them away. Very sage advice. Thank you very much for your time today, Dave. I really appreciate it and uh, wish you best of luck for the rest of the year. All right, thank you very much, Andrew. That's the end of you. 
it was great chatting with Dave. He's someone I've wanted on the, the show for a while. And a big shout out to his son, Nathan, for, for putting me in touch with him. I sat with him at Lakeside and he's a, he's a good lad, Nathan. As I mentioned in the chat with Dave, he wasn't at the England Open or National Singles this past weekend because he was on his holidays. In terms of the England Open and National Singles, though, they got good numbers in the end. Just over 270 registered players for the men's competitions and 92-91 for, for the women's competitions. Last week's show, I made some predictions for who were going to win the titles down in Breen Sands. I said that Yella Glasson would win one of the men's titles and Rhianne O'Sullivan would win one of the women's titles. Well, I got one of the two right, as uh, Rianne ended an almost 10-year title drought on the WF Tour, which seems crazy to think about. She brought that drought to an end by winning the England National Singles on Sunday evening. There was no title for Yella Clarsen, though. He had, uh, by his standards, a fairly limited weekend. He went out in the last 32 of the Open, and he picked up no ranking points in the National Singles after going out quite early to Ian Hiscock. Rianne O'Sullivan was very good value for her win, though, and I think... When she won the World Qualifier last year, you know, you knew she'd have a World Championship place. You didn't know how much of the circuit she was going to do because she's always been limited by, you know, her work and, and, you know, not having the ability to travel. And she is someone that enjoys playing for her county and she enjoys playing for her country. And obviously those commitments during the year take up a fair amount of time. Uh, but she has done a bit of the tour. Uh, she did the Welsh Open weekend. She come down to these events. She did the Dutch Open as well. And it has felt very much this year a case of when, not if, she'd win a title. She lost the Welsh Classic final to Fallon Sherrick. She missed match darts in that one and lost the Dutch Open final to Bo Greaves. But she got over the line this time against Aileen de Graaf. Rianne dropped just three legs in the tournament before the final. She beat Joe Locke, Dietz Hedman, Priscilla Steinbergen on the way to the final. And then in that final, the advantage she had over Aileen, there wasn't much between them in terms of scoring. The advantage Rianne had was that she was the better finisher. She was 5 out of 8 on the doubles compared to 1 out of 12 for Eileen. And in the end, that made the difference and she won it 5-1. The other women's title, the England Open, was won by Bo Greaves, which takes Bo to seven titles for the year now. She's showing no signs of slowing down her domination of the women's circuit. She's now got an even bigger lead at the top of the women's rankings. And to be honest, she looks set to get into double digits for titles one this year, which is a very impressive feat. She reached the quarterfinals of the England Open without dropping a leg. And then in the final, she took on Cathy Hughes, who was playing in her first WDF final, and Bo walked away with it. She won it 5-0, hit two maximums, and averaged 88.41. Uh, she did lose in the, the national singles, though. She lost her last leg, decided to Aileen de Graaf in the quarter. So she's not... Note perfect, and she's not winning absolutely everything. She's just winning almost everything. The men's titles in Breen Sands were split between David Pallet and Scott Marsh. Dave Pallet's a player who's been around a long time, uh, but of course he was a PDC player for the, for the most part of his career, so he's not played a huge amount of either the BDO Tour years ago or the WF Tour now. So this was actually his first title and he certainly had to work hard for it he came through last egg deciders against Lewis Gurney Jim McEwen Andy Bartons and Michael Huntley to get to the final and then in that final against Graham Hall he survived a comeback from Graham Hall and survived two match starts to win it 5-4 the finishing in the final between Graham and Dave wasn't great but the scoring was brilliant there were seven 180s between them consistent power scoring it's just got a bit scrappy when they needed to find the outer ring but a good competitive game. 
good win for Dave. I think he's now in a provisional world's place and with a few more events left in the UK, uh, you'd fancy him to keep that momentum going. And Graham Hall, it was the second final of the year for him. So if he plays in the other events in the UK later in the year and has at least a couple of decent runs, you'd fancy him to get a world's place as well. He's a player that's really developing. I think the first I knew of him was when he got to the quarters of the England Open last year and I got to watch a couple of his games in person. And he's just gone from strength to strength since then. I know he played at the UK Open, gave a good account of himself and is gradually starting to improve. Played on the... Pro Tour earlier this year, um, and he's a player who I think is going to be on that PDC circuit sooner rather than later. The other title was won by Scott Marsh, who came from behind in the final to beat Darren Johnson. It was a bit of a scrappy game between Scott and Darren. Um, Darren started the stronger of the two and then faded down the stretch, and uh, his scoring power really fell away in the last leg, and it meant he finished with an average of 72, which is well below what he's capable of, but it was incredibly hot in Breen Sands. You know, it was incredibly hot everywhere in, in England, really, yesterday. That venue was no different. And I think uh, it's been a long weekend for all the players. So, you know, I think everyone deserves a bit of slack for maybe those final performances not being as strong as they'd have liked. It was good to see Scott win because he played in his third final of the year. He'd thrown away a lead, basically, in the Slovakian Open final earlier in the year and lost that one. The Romanian Open final a few weeks ago was very below par and got blown away by Patrick Kovac. So here, he sort of dug in, scrapped away and got the win, which will have boosted his confidence as well. Uh, and I know he made the, the late trip after you know winning the title Sunday night, made the trip up, was in the Pro Tours on Monday and got to the last 32. So a good couple of days for Scott, all in all. I know Darren Johnson will be disappointed, but it's the second final of the year for him, so that's something you can take from it. And he was also one of the few players who took points from both competitions during the weekend down in Breen Sands. The other ones to do that, Sean McDonald, Chris Landman, Martin Turner, um, and they all impressed me. It was nice to see friend of the show Sean McDonald get to the last 32. And also friend of the show John Scott, he picked up some points as well. He'd only just come out of Covid jail, so he didn't have too many expectations for the weekend, but got a little bit at the weekend and only just lost to Scott in the, the national singles, lost that 4-3 in the, the last 32. The other person I wanted to give a mention to was young Jensen Walker. Uh, he made the semi-final of the men's open, which was a really impressive run, beat Yellow Class and in that run. And to be honest, I didn't see it coming. He's played in a few of the England youth comps this year, a few other youth comps elsewhere, not really seeing that level of performance from him. So to produce that was very impressive. Aside from the action itself, though, there were a lot of talking points to come out of the, the England Open weekend. The first one was the venue. Now, I, I touched on this on last week's show, uh, that Breen Sands was a divisive venue. There were some people who thought it was nice, but there are a lot of people who weren't a big fan. And uh, I've not been there myself, so obviously the, the comments I can make are fairly limited. But the comments from this weekend have generally been quite negative. People were not happy with the, the chalets in the venue. They were poor quality, they were dirty and so on. Um, I saw Neil Duff commented on a, a post on Facebook. He said that someone shouldn't read too much into their performances over the weekend in Brin Sand because the venue wasn't fit for purpose and the playing conditions were atrocious. Now that's a direct quote from the world champion there. I know a few of the players found it incredibly hot, certainly with the number of bodies that were packed into the venue, whether that was for the pairs or the singles. England are in a difficult position because when they had the Celsi venue, it was great because that Celsi venue was fit for purpose. 
Uh, it was a really good venue, and the people who owned the venue were big supporters of England, and uh, they put a lot of backing behind them. Now, when that venue changed ownership to, to Cove Communities, and they didn't want to run the darts anymore, obviously England had to think on their feet and find a new venue. Breen is one that's been used before. So obviously it was an easy go-to. Now, whether it's the right venue moving forward, I don't know. Whether England, with a bit more forewarning, have already started to think about somewhere else they want to go next year, again, I don't know. But I certainly think if they stay there next year, I think numbers will probably go down a fair bit based on the things I've seen about the quality of the venue. Now, one of the other main things that a lot of people were talking about was on Sunday, and that was the, the streaming. So England did provide a stream of the finals, but it wasn't particularly great. There was no commentary in the end. I know they'd got Henry Deakin down there to do some commentary, but some technical gremlins meant there was no commentary. So all you heard were the callers, whether that was Charlie Corstaphine, Anthony Dundas or uh, Lee Cadogan, I think his name is Welsh chap. Um, they were there, so all you heard was them. But unfortunately, there was an aircon near where the cameras were, and that was making the microphone sound incredibly crackly. Uh, and the angle of the cameras they had set up was really awkward. It meant that the board was sort of square on uh, in one of the cameras. And also, if you know when the players were throwing, you couldn't actually see the board because their head was in line, the back of their head was in line with the camera. Wasn't tremendous quality. It was also very dark in the room, so the lighting for the streaming itself was quite poor. Now... That lighting is ultimately not the person streaming its fault. That's that's more to do with the venue and the setup they've got. But the the generally the comments I saw on the stream were mostly all uh, negative. Whether they were replies to the tweet on the official WDF account, they were replies to anything I posted, or comments on Facebook. Uh, I saw a friend of the show, Oki Balboa, uh, Chris Hinton. He made a few comments on Facebook about the quality of the stream, and he got a bit of bite back uh, from some of the England officials for those. And I mean, yeah. The company that they had doing the stream, TC Streams, I've not seen them do anything before and ultimately I don't really think they were good enough to be streaming an event like that. Uh, I appreciate Gremlins can happen, but that wasn't really Gremlins to me. It was just a poor look, a bit of an amateurish look, to be honest. Some of those comments that, that Chris received, they were saying that essentially, you know, when they were at Celsi, it was easier to get 24-7 in to do the streaming. Now, whether that was because... England had more money to play with because they were getting more financial backing from Bun Leisure. This year, for, for whatever reason they changed, I wasn't particularly impressed. Uh, and I wonder whether they will look to change. England have got more events later in the year, so I wonder whether they'll stick with that outlet or they'll attempt to pivot back to what they were doing before or look at somebody else entirely. But... Uh, I don't think they can really repeat what they had on Sunday. The other talking point uh, was the updates, or the lack thereof, from the weekend. Uh, so England were providing updates. They were updating the draw PDFs on their website, but they weren't using a live Darts Windows link or using Dark Connect. Now, I saw someone raise a question about why they weren't using Dark Connect when the other Tri-Nations countries were, and I saw an England official someone connected with England saying that there was a charge per player to use Dark Connect. Now, if the other Tri-Nations countries are doing it, who England are affiliated with as part of the Tri-Nations, and I think it's worth noting that Scotland and Wales have used Dark Connect for tournaments with bigger fields, 
than England had over the weekend. I really don't see why England can't use Dark Connect or Darts for Windows more visibly or something like Darts Atlas. To me, to, to make the point about the Dark Connect charge for player, to me that's an admission that the England budget is tight and that they can't stretch to it. But I think that lack of social presence and that lack of visibility on the updates is quite poor and I think is something that needs to improve across the board, whether that's England or other federations. Some of them do it really well and others don't. And I don't know whether that's a generational thing or an attitude thing, I'm not sure, but uh, it's certainly something that needs work. As I say, it remains to be seen how much is going to change for England when they have their events later in the year. The next one that they're running solely on their own is the England Classic, which is down in Devon in late September and that's a gold event. They're obviously involved with the British Open and Classic and they're earlier in September, but they officially come under the, the Tri-Nations banner and last year the British Open used Dark Connect. So you'd think they're probably going to go down that route again. And if they do, that raises even more questions about why England aren't doing that and are seemingly resistant to change in new technology. But anyway, moving on from this weekend's action in England, I want to look ahead now to the Australian Open, the next flagship event on the WDF calendar, the third platinum-graded event of the year. And one man who will be in action in that tournament is Brandon Weening, who is also harbouring hopes of World Series and Ali Pali qualification. Brandon and I spoke about all of that, as well as him trying to emerge from his dad's shadow last week. I'm now delighted to be joined by the Python, Brandon Weening. Brandon, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, mate. How about you, mate? Good, thank you. Nice to have you on the show. You're gearing up for a, a big few weeks with the World Series qualifiers, the DPA finals and the Australian Open. After, you know, an up and down two years with COVID, with things getting cancelled and long gaps, how good is it to have a, a packed calendar again? Oh, mate, it's great. Uh... Finally, you can uh, go out, you know, play uh, against, you know, some of the uh, boys we could play against a couple of years ago. Yeah, everything's falling into um, falling in the water again. Mm. Great. Now, there's a lot I want to get into and cover with you, but I want to start at the beginning. Normally, I ask people how they got into darts in the first place, but it's a little bit different with you because I've interviewed your dad a couple of times, so... I know that he obviously has been an influence on you, but, you know, as a kid, did you get the bug for playing darts from him or did you pick it up separately? He wasn't the main influence for me getting to darts. I actually I actually went to the Geelong Dart Club with uh, with uh, my mum's mate and, uh, and it all kick-started off from there. And when you were a, a youngster, were you playing other sports or was darts the main thing for Actually, uh, cricket uh, for um, my local uh, footy club up up in the hill here. Uh, that, that's what I was doing: play cricket uh, throughout the weekends and playing uh, darts throughout the week. Um, but it came to a, it came to a decision where I had to make a call, and I lucky enough I stuck with darts and I got cricket away, and and it just boosted my career in in darts because I felt I wasn't getting anywhere with. With um uh, with my cricket or anything like that, so so I stuck with darts. And what was the moment that made you realise that darts was the avenue that was going to lead you on to bigger and brighter things? The moment that 
I realised dance was going to be the sport that I'll be playing uh, was when I was asked to go to Colac and play in the Colac Cup. Um, I went there, not expect anything, but I, I went there and won the, the B-grade Herald Cup, Colac uh, Herald Cup, and started everything for me. And when you first started playing youth competitions, and I, I suppose the, the early senior ones as well in Australia, was it difficult in a sense for you because people knew who your dad was, knew what a figure in Australian darts he is, and therefore expected a lot of you from the offset? I think they did at first. But then, when they realised I wasn't there to walk to follow my old man's footsteps, you know, they they knew that I was there to write my own story, what I'm doing. Hmm. And for you, has there been a you know internal pressure, a sense of expectation for you to to live up to some of the things your dad managed to achieve? <laughs> At first, there was, but I'm I'm uh, slowly progressing into. Uh, my own little character in in uh, this sport, so I want to continue going down that path. I want to forget what my dad's done uh, in, in this great sport of that you know, that we all know and love. I'm, look, as I said, I'm I'm here to write my own story, and I, I think I think I'm off to a very good start. Absolutely, and uh, as you say, you're trying to write your own story. But is it nice to have? Your dad there has been there and done it all on the Australian circuit. To have him there for you know encouragement and advice and so on. Well, absolutely, Andrew. You know, you know, on a Thursday night, he, he supports me and whatnot. Uh, when he's run uh, the DPA satellite tours here in Victoria, you know, he can't. It's very little time to support me. You know, little to none because uh, he's not allowed to uh, support any of the any of the players, regardless if I'm his son or. Or whatnot, you know, he has to uh, stay professional throughout that uh, time, and and he gives me little tips after the days as well, and, and I'm very thankful for that. You know, I take it on board, and I take it, and I put it on the practice board, and I continue on at, at the next tournament. Yeah, definitely. So in 2020, your name became more well known because you won a spot at the PDC World Youth. Championships. How was it that you actually qualified for that tournament? Uh, twenty nineteen. It wasn't twenty twenty. I qualified for it. Hmm. Twenty nineteen. I won the Australasian Youth Championship. That was uh, yeah, the Australasian Youth Championship in twenty nineteen. But yeah, it was uh, twenty twenty where um, where I was first selected to go to to go to England and represent Australia in the World Youth Championships. Um, but unfortunately, COVID. Uh, kicked in, so I missed out on uh, probably two years of uh, going to England and whatnot, but I finally get that chance this year, Andrew. Absolutely, I was going to say, having missed that opportunity and had to watch the tournament take place while you guys are more or less stuck in Australia, how much are you looking forward to coming over to Wigan in October? I'm really looking forward to it, you know, um, just you know, it's not the only, it's not only the experience that I'm looking for, but you know, just to meet new friends, meet new people, and and whatnot, you know, and most importantly, have a good time over there. You know, enjoy me darts while I'm over there. And you know, if I win, I win. If I don't, I don't. You know, it's not the end of the world. I've always got another. You know, I've always got another chance. Maybe next year, because um, I'm not sure what the deadline is. So I have to look on the the PDC website, but. The Australian COVID restrictions, I know, were quite difficult. I remember I had 
Sam Ballinger on the, the podcast a, a little while ago, and he was saying at one point, couldn't go more than 5K from home. So during those times, did you play a lot of online darts? Uh, no, I, I tend to stay away from the online darts, Andrew. Um, a lot of people uh, know that I really despise online darts. I really do not like it. Um, it's nothing... It's, look, it's nothing personal uh, with the online. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm, well, I'm, I know there's a lot of great players there that are playing online darts right now. Look, it's just not for me. You know, so I, I had a couple of years not practicing properly. You know, I'll be on computer playing video. I'll pick up a done for maybe 10, 15 minutes. And I'll go. Yeah, I'm bored of it. I'll go back to my computer again. When you're over in the UK, I know you're a, a big Rangers fan, so are you hoping to get to, to Ibrox for a game while you're over? Oh, I, uh, I love the Rangers. I have no other but, uh, but uh, Ian, thanks for that. You made up my Scottish uh, mate. Uh, I've met him through, uh, through uh, gaming, so uh, shout out to you, Ian. Love you, mate. You know, but look, he's the one who got me into the Rangers, and I would love to go see uh, uh, Rangers play at Ibrox. If, if it's not at Ibrox, I'm happy to watch them play anywhere, you know, especially going to an old firm. I would love to go witness my, my very first old firm derby. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. And because you are a Rangers fan, is that why you've used Penny Arcade as a walk-on in the past? Funny enough, um, no, my, my original walk-on song wasn't Penny Arcade. I've only just changed it. To that, uh, uh, my first walk-on song was uh, Blake Paul's Sitter. Uh, forgot who it was by, but that's the very first song I used uh, when I qualified for the Australian Open back in 19. Doing a new song, uh, you know, I just, look, a little bit of it has to do with it, with the Rangers, but but most importantly, I, I chose that song because it's a, a catchy tune and I feel that I can get the crowd involved and clap it and try to get the crowd on my side a little bit. That catchy tune, you know, I just want to turn ahead toward, you know, towards that song and go, oh yeah, I like that song and start singing away and clapping and, you know, and fancy a young bloke knowing the song Penny Arcade. You know, <laughs> originally done by, I think it was Roy Orbison mm-hmm. who originally sung it. But yeah, I chose uh, the Sammy King version of it because that's the Rangers version and I think it's the best version. Yeah. There you go. It is very much a, a crowd-pleasing song, so it's uh, it will go down well, I'm sure. Obviously, you've got the World Youth Championship trip booked already, but I know you're looking to, to hopefully get another trip to the UK later this year because you've got the DPA finals uh, next weekend. And all of the qualifiers have been done this year, last year, through the satellite tours where you're playing in, in state bubbles. How do you feel Victoria compares in terms of strength and the number of players to the other states in Australia? I have to say, it's a bit, it's, it's hard to uh, tell you about the strength in Victoria because we're probably getting, you know, at least seven players on a Friday night and then a couple more on Saturday and probably like a, a little bit more on the Sunday. So we never had that field of, you know, 30, maybe 40, even 50-plus players throughout the whole week, you know, throughout the whole weekend in the, in the Victorian bubble. 
at first we did, but then this year we were even lucky to get seven throughout the year. If uh, we had more, I would say uh, definitely Victoria would be the strongest state uh, there. But at the moment, I think it's either uh, Queensland or, or New South Wales that, that take that title at the moment. Hmm. I mean, you've done well on the, the satellite tour. You won two of the events last year, seven of the 15 in Victoria this year. As you say, the fields have been quite small this year, but just winning tournaments on a regular basis, how much confidence has that given you? It's given me a fair bit of confidence. Um, as we all know, um, winning games give you, uh, gives you confidence. Winning tournaments uh, skyrockets your uh, confidence to another level. So each win, I'll, you know, each win, I was getting more and more confident. And when I was getting beat in, in uh, on the Sunday or whatnot, you know, or even in the final, I got beaten what three times in the final. Uh, you know, it sort of uh, decreased my confidence a little bit. It was right back to square one, and then you start over again. You build that confidence back up to where you want it to be. That makes sense. You also got to a final on the WDF circuit this year and generally you've been playing very well. So do you feel that the level you're at now is the best you've ever played? Uh, right now, yes, but I feel there's another level to come. Yeah, there's definitely another level another level up from where I am and probably another three or four levels above where I am at the moment. But right now, this is probably the best I've, I've played throughout throughout my career hmm. in addition to the, the DPA finals you've also got the World Series qualifiers next weekend as well you've not played in those World Series events before but if you were to qualify for, for one of the ones you're aiming to this year which of the eight PDC representatives do you want to take on? Uh, uh, any honestly you know just to get on that stage and and uh, and uh, experience playing you know playing on a professional circuit against the top players around the world you know but if I had to choose one probably uh, Damon Hedder he's got me the last couple of times I've played him uh, I had a dart to beat him in Canberra in 2019 uh, was it 2019 no I might have been 2019 yeah I had a dart to beat him in Canberra in 2019 and unfortunately I missed and, and he took out but I, I think I owe him a couple. You know, <laughs> I can get a couple of wins on the belt to beat him this time. So. Well, talking of Damon, obviously we're a few weeks removed now from him and Simon Whitlock winning the PDC World Cup. How much of an inspiration was that for you and the, the rest of the darting community back in Australia? Oh, Andrew, you know, I, even though I didn't watch the final personally, you know, I didn't watch it live or anything like that. You know, I wish I would have watched it live, but, you know, the scenes back in Australia were amazing. You know, everyone's popping and, and whatnot. You know, we're over the moon that, that those two blokes could uh, finally secure our first World Cup victory. Yeah, of course. You know, after the half, uh, was it 2012 against England? You know, we had a few darts to beat England and we crumbled, but this time we held our... Obviously, that's also going to be a, an inspiration for you and, and other players to see what Damon has done and make that leap over to the UK and go professional. You know, you guys have been playing with him and 
seeing what he's doing, you guys want to do that self-same thing, don't you? I absolutely. What he's done uh, since he's got over there has been amazing. You know, you know, not only is a great, you know, a good friend and whatnot, but he's gone over there. He's he's left Australia. He's left his house here in Australia, and he's made the big move to England, which is very hard to do because what it's twenty four hours on a plane with a stopover. You know, and he's climatized and. And he and he knows what he's doing. You know, he's got, he's over there and and he's doing uh, what he does best, and and that's winning tournaments and and whatnot. I don't think it's fake. You know, the move. You know, he's gone over. He knows what he he knows like he knows what he wants to do, and and he's going over there and making a statement. Yeah, certainly has been. In August, you'll be playing at the Australian Darts Open in Moama. Now, in 2019, you qualified and played in the first one. What did you make of that first run in the tournament? The first run of the Australian Open was great. It was a great experience um, for any of the people that's coming over for the last chance qualifiers uh, that's held at the Moana Bowling Club. Look, feel free to try and qualify for it. It's a great event. It is run superbly, you know, especially if you want to be... Uh, playing on TV as well, you know, I'm pretty sure it's a televised event, so, so you just, you have nothing to lose, go go there, qualify and whatnot, it's a great experience, mm. but what I got out of it, the first time I qualified, was experience, you know, I, I didn't go there thinking I was going to win or anything like that, I qualified and I got, and I was looking for experience, you know, this time... I'm looking for a little bit more than experience. You know, last time I was there to make up numbers, I'm there to win it this time. Fighting talk, which is good to hear. Where did your nickname, the Python, come from? <laughs> um, I, I actually gave myself the nickname, the Python, because I like snakes. Uh, funny enough, I just like snakes. No, that's where it originated from, just because my love for snakes and... And I'm fascinated what they can do and, and whatnot, especially growing up watching uh, watching uh, Steve Earl and the Legend on TV and whatnot, meeting him in uh, 2004 for the first time um, was great. You know, I just you know I just love uh, snakes altogether. You know, especially uh, a nice carpet python. I don't mind a carpet python. I can't say that snakes are particularly my cup of tea. Um, but that's quite cool, nonetheless. When you played in the Australian Open last time, you wore the sort of snakeskin shirts. But then when you won the Victoria Qualifier recently, you were wearing the sort of blue Victoria State jersey. So when you play in the Australian Open, what, what sort of shirt are we going for this time? Yes, you have to wait and see, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave you on the cliffhanger. <laughs> There is a post um, on my Twitter, uh, Andrew. If you go to that, uh, I'm not sure if that link still works. Uh, look, I even might uh, send you what my shirts are going to look like so you have a, a good idea what they're going to be looking like. Well, thank you very much for your time tonight, Brandon. I really appreciate it. And I wish you all the best with a busy few weeks ahead. And uh, best of luck at the Australian Open in a few weeks' time. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Oh, it was really nice to chat to Brandon. I've been really impressed with how he's come on over the, 
the last nine, ten months or so, and I'm very intrigued to see how he gets on later this week, uh, all of those qualifiers for the World Series events and, and for Alexandra Palace. And, of course, how he then does at the Australian Open in a couple of weeks' time. He's definitely got the game to compete in all of them, and it'd be fascinating to see how he gets on. As he said, last time he was there to, to make up the number, whereas this time he's going out there to win. I touched on the England events earlier in the show, and now I want to move across to the other events this past weekend, and they were over in Serbia. The Appleton Open has been on the WDF calendar for, for more than a decade now, uh, and this year they added a second bronze event, the Serbian Open, to the weekend. On last week's show, I said that the entries for the event weren't very good. It was about 35 for the men and, and only four or five for the ladies. But those entries picked up in the end quite impressively. It was 75 or so for the men and uh, just about 11 for the women. So maybe not an impressive rise for the women, but still into double figures, which is better than some others this year. And 75 or so for the men was quite good. I found it quite interesting that the likes of Patrick Kovac and Gabor Takac both prioritised those events in Serbia overplaying in the home nation qualifier for the Euro Tour event in Hungary, I guess. It's an admission for both of them that they've had a good start to the year in the WDF and that the World Championship is a realistic destination for both of them. And at this point in time, they'd rather chase that opportunity in that moment of history rather than a one-off appearance at the Euro Tour. I mean, you know, that gamble paid off for Patrick Kovac because he beat Lajlo Kadar in the final of the Serbian Open to win his third title of the year. Uh, Kadar and Kovac are now well clear at the top of the regional rankings, although I think at the moment they're both very likely to qualify through the main table anyway. Um, there was one upset winner in the men's tournaments, though. Dean Biskopic from Croatia won the Appleton Open. Uh, Dean was a relative unknown going into the weekend, uh, but he played really well, beat some decent players, and uh, in the final knocked off Benjamin Prattnamer, who, of course, has been playing some good darts of late and was hoping to boost his standing in the WDF rankings as well. It was a good win for Dean. He'll play at the, the World Masters later this year. Now, for the two women's competitions, I said on last week's show that Veronica Ehash needed a big weekend to keep her World Championship hopes alive, and she managed exactly that. She won both competitions in Serbia in the process, extending her winning run at the Appleton Open to seven consecutive events. She beat Yitka Sisarova in both finals, and that means that Veronica is now just 40 points behind her in the regional table with three events to go. That's two tournaments in Hungary, uh, I think they're in November, or late, late October, early November, and the Czech Open. Uh, so as far as I know, that's two silvers and a bronze. There's so still quite a few points on the table uh, for those players. So it'll be interesting to see if Veronica can catch her, or whether Yitka will become the first Czech thrower to play in the Women's World Championships. Uh, Serbia didn't run any streams uh, for the weekend. They have done in the past for these tournaments, but uh, they didn't this year. They just used Darts Windows pages, which were run smoothly, updated quickly, and it was very easy to see the results. So not a major complaint for me, but obviously always streamed action is good to see. And uh, as I said before, Lajla Kadar is someone I very much enjoy watching. Looking ahead this weekend, there are no ranking events, but there is the return of... One of my favourite tournaments on the calendar, the Europe Youth Cup in Hungary. Uh, I always enjoy these tournaments because they're a fascinating, in many ways, like a fascinating history lesson. Because for some of these players, they're picked because they're good relative to their age group. Uh, some players are just good full stop, and that's why they're in these tournaments, because they fit in the age category. You know, for some of these players, this will be the biggest competition they ever play in. 
Whereas for others, this will just be the footnote into a very successful career. So it's always interesting to kind of study and look at tournaments like these and see who's played and who does well. And obviously, you know, you can then look back and see what they've gone on to achieve. It's the same with Youth World Championship finals over the years. I know when Stephen Bunting won the World Youth Masters, played a Spanish chap who then went on to do very little in the sport. And obviously Stephen Bunting won a world title, has been on the PDC tour for a number of years. So it's always interesting to see how those things work but yeah this this year's tournament is in hungary hungarian federation are always very good with doing updates and streams and i know they're going to be doing a lot of streaming on their youtube channel this weekend thursday and friday we'll see all the floor matches take place across the team singles competitions and then saturday all the finals will be streamed the boys tournament sees 20 nations represented which is the most in the event history and in the girls tournament there are 14 nations represented it's nice to see Egypt taking part because I think Egypt are one of those countries where, uh, of course, they're not a European country, they're an African country, but because they don't have a sufficient number of African members, they don't have enough to form a region. So I think for these sort of tournaments, Egypt just kind of get parceled in with their, the European lot, which I always find quite interesting. In terms of analysing potential winners, uh, the Netherlands are always strong in the boys' tournament. That's very likely to be the case again this time They've got Bradley Roers, the JDC and WF World Youth Champion, Tynus Van Teel, uh, who's played a lot of WF youth events over the last year or so, Dylan Van Lierop, he won the Dutch Open boys title earlier this year, and Pim Van Bynen as well. Uh, England's quartet, I think, are very strong. Luke Littler, Charlie Manby, Thomas Banks, Archie Self. And there are a few others worth watching as well, a few other names. Uh, Liam Mental lawrence from Germany, Nikolai Jorgensen from Denmark, Andras Borbelli from Hungary, Adam D from Ireland and Dylan Duo from Gibraltar. Luke Littler is the, the favourite for me to win it because he's got the highest top level game of anybody there. But there are other people with a chance. I think Thomas Banks and Archie Self from England have got a very good chance. But I think if Littler doesn't win it, I will go out on a limb and say that it will probably be Borbelli from Hungary. Because he's won a senior title on the WF Tour this year. He's qualified for the Euro Tour in Hungary. And uh, although the consistency is not there in his game yet, uh, I think the top-end quality is, and he should have enough to beat a lot of the lads in this field. So, yeah, little or Borbelli for me. In the girls' tournament, uh, the defending champion, Tamara Kovac of Hungary, she'll be trying to defend her title on home soil. But the standout name for me, and I think for, for most people, would be Aurora Focasato from Italy. Obviously, Aurora's made some headlines with the way she's come onto the scene and what she's doing for Italian Dart. And uh, having played an awful lot on the women's tour this year, I think playing in this, she should have far too much for her peers in the youth section. Again, that doesn't mean she's a cert to win it. Um, I think there are a couple of other decent girls in the field. Uh, England's Paige Pauling and Amy Evans, both very decent. And uh, Germany's pair of Marlena Klapsch and Vibke Riemann are both good as well, but I would be very surprised if Aurora doesn't win the title. Anyway, that's all for this week. Big thank you to Dave Brins and Brandon Weening for their time and to you for listening. Your support is always greatly appreciated. I'll be back in a fortnight for the big one, episode 100 of the podcast. Some fun things planned for that. But in the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at amsinclair97. You can follow the podcast at Inside the WF. You can like the Facebook page Inside the WF and you can rate, review and subscribe. I'll see you on the other side.